Okay. So talking about <laughs> the hereditary like pigeon drawing tattoo, nothing could possibly be worse than the tattoo like walk in that I got when I worked at the tattoo shop. It cause we were talking about how like the pigeon is hand drawn and we thought people would think it's a bad tattoo and like whatever. And it's clearly drawn okay. by children. Okay, someone came in with a drawing by multiple of their children and it was a Hot Wheels car. Stop. <laughs> I got you. Oh my god, it's so bad. It was a Hot Wheels car with like rainbow fumes coming out of it and um i don't know i people i guess in the car um and there was like shit around it <laughs> like like i don't know if they were trees i don't know if they were giraffes i don't know what was going on but it was all hand drawn and then they sloppily wrote their names and this person came in and wanted it tattooed like on their body and they did get it and um they added even worse stuff to it. God, what else did they add to it? There was like I remember like stars, like ugly oh, stars. Oh no, like kid drawn stars, the one with like the line like oh no. It oh was, uh, god. I I I worked <laughs> I worked really with bad. someone whose daughter in law got her son's name tattooed on her, but she got it tattooed in his kid writing in crayon and it was her whole forearm. And it was wow. Carter, and it was her whole forearm in giant, like, kid letters in, like, multicolored. And it... <laughs> it's a choice. It's a choice. A strong <laughs> choice. I mean, she committed to it, I suppose. Sorry, we're not trying to judge tattoos, but we are judging tattoos a little bit in that moment. <laughs> um, I'm allowed, Okay. I'm actually well, not. Well, welcome back to Watch Once Never that. Again, where we talk about tattoos and also movies that are disturbing and we watch them so you don't have to. <laughs> I'm Mary Beth. And I'm Beth. And <laughs> that's an incredible story. Uh, uh, we're back. I'm married. That's cool. Um, I was just going to say <laughs> you're married. married. We met in person. We hugged. We celebrated we together. We did. We did, and it was so great. And I met other cool horror people also too, as well. Horror, your your yeah. table was the best table at the wedding. It sure was. Your the moth. So Dax gave me an incredible Mothman poster for as a part of a wedding gift, and it is right next to me. And I love him so much. He's very cute. So. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, as soon as I saw it, I was like. Oh no! <sighs> it was already. It's, it's been up in my office since I opened the gift. So do not. <laughs> He's. So- <laughs> I'll post a picture, y'all. It's the fucking cutest Mothman. It's incredible. And I opened it and started crying because uh, be- apparently being uh, getting married and after your wedding, you're really emotional. <laughs> uh, s- surprise. So, yeah. But um, I wish I could remember the artist. Does it say uh, it on there? I look, I don't see it. I bought it at a horror convention and he's always there. And he has the cutest art. Like... It's like little creatures, like, and they're not all horror creatures. Some of them are like dogs, and it'll be like Barkenstein, oh! and then it'll be like a little dog with oh! like Frankenstein head, or like I I bought a beagle one, you, and it's like a little beagle, <laughs> yeah, and it's a little beagle that is like also a bumblebee, oh! yeah, yeah, 
Oh. Love it so much. I wish I remembered his name. If I remember it or if you see it, we'll post we it. But we are back and we are doing a short but very much anticipated series on Ari Aster, which I am very excited about. I know we know that he only has two feature films, but he also has a lot of short films, which we are diving into today to talk about this director. And this is my pick. Because we've done a lot of, I feel like we've done a lot of like Euro cool directors that are like obviously very avant-garde and like have a place in us on our discussion. We've talked about animation. We've talked about, was drug addiction our last, was drug, we did drug addiction. What was our last series? My brain is absolutely broken. (laughs) I don't remember. Oh my God. We really are fucked around. Was it, is it, was it animation? No. I don't think it was animation. Hold on. I'm checking and we can edit this, but I'm checking because now I feel like an idiot for not remembering what our own goddamn series are. Nope. Oh my God, it was Todd Salons. I totally, why did I? Wow. <laughs> Todd, wow. Salons, Todd Salons fucked my shit up when we did <laughs> Literally, wow. all I was thinking about was Todd Salons for like multiple weeks. It was not good for my brain. <laughs> Every person I interviewed at work, I was like, your movie reminds me of Todd Salons. I was like, I have brain worms. Um, And they were like, get away from me. They were like, either they were like, oh my God, thank you so much. Or like, you need to go to a hospital. Um, But so our last series was Todd Salons, which was an adventure and a half. And now we're going to another weird, scary white guy um, with a smaller filmography and but a just as interesting filmography that I know that Dax and I are both obsessed with. Um, so yes. I am very excited to talk about this strange man who has a grip on uh, horror consciousness as a whole. Yeah, you were like, we've done a lot of like Eurocentric cool directors. And I was like, so we had to pick a American nerd for the yep. next one. Yeah. Towards like contemporary, like is a newer director, but yeah, no, we did pick just like a white American nerd. <laughs> I'll say it, he's a fucking dork, and I love him for it. Oh, he is a fucking dork. I we'll we'll talk about it, but Jesus, his little glasses. <laughs> he's got little, his little glasses. glasses. Little glasses. Um, I'm yeah. sure um, my friends who listen to this podcast are going to be so surprised that I didn't pick this series. Haha. I'm just so, I like, I mean, I watched Hereditary when it came out, and I just haven't shut up since. Like, I have multiple Hereditary shirts. I have a pair of Hereditary sweatpants. I, yeah, there's, there's, there's a Hereditary thing in front of me right now. Like, it, it's, it fundamentally changed my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've submitted stuff for a book that didn't happen. Like, I can't stop. And I won't now. Good. We are not We are not talking about Hereditary today. We are talking about um, Ari Aster's short films, which are very much worth discussing, especially two in particular. But I think maybe before we jump into the shorts, do we want to just give a little bit of information about Aster? There isn't a lot. He is, like, kind of boring, to be perfectly honest with you, but good for him. Yeah, well, he was born... I want to say in New York. I, I mean, I might have made that up. No, <laughs> he just, I mean, like he was born to a Jewish family in New York City in 1986. <laughs> he moved to England for a while with his family um, when he was like a little kid. Where his, his father opened a jazz nightclub. A jazz club. What the fuck? Like, why? 
I wonder how it went. Like, I wonder what it's called. I want to know everything about it. Have you ever been to a jazz club? I've never been to it. I am not cool enough to go to a jazz club. I have not been to a jazz club, but there is, like, this New Orleans-themed restaurant in Philly that I've been to before, and they play jazz music. Does that count? No. (laughs) Damn. I, I don't think that counts. And we both went to New Orleans before, so it's, like, weird that we haven't seen a jazz club. Look, I've seen... It's weird, because, like, my friend, her dad, like, had a membership to a jazz club, and it's just, like, you just go in the nice clothes and sit at, like, white tablecloth tables and, like, listen to people sing jazz. It's not the same thing. Like, I've been to, like, jazz clubs in New Orleans, but it was like a bar where someone was playing incredible music. So maybe I have it. I don't know. I think it Oh, so yours counts, but mine doesn't. I'm not saying it does. I don't know. I don't know (laughs) if it does. It's not, it wasn't a nightclub. I feel like jazz nightclub has like a fancy, like almost tuxedo vibe of like fan of a fancy vibe, but I've also never been to one. So I don't know if I'm just (laughs) making this up after watching too many movies that take place in like like the 1940s. Like that could also be part of it. (laughs) See, what I'm picturing is, like, total opposite. I'm picturing, like, Chicago, like, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you had it coming. <laughs> oh, one of my comfort movies. Anyway, Ari Aster, am I right? How'd we get here? Right, the jazz club. Okay, so he lived in England for a while, and then his family moved to... Um, New Mexico, which I just find so random. Like, why there? I have questions for this family. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) And um, then he graduated from school, like graduated college from there. And then I think that was in maybe like 2008. And then I believe in 2010, he was chosen to attend um, AFI. Um, the American Film Institute, which is like, if any listeners don't know what AFI is, it's like super prestigious. And like a lot of really famous film industry people, um, like Terrence Malick went there. Who else? Other people, right? Yeah. The per- Whoever directed Big Little Lies, I think, like what? It's like definitely like a pet. It's like a, it's like a pedigree type of thing. Like it's a big deal, or like it, yeah. I mean, a big deal to go there. And my favorite is that his first one of his first shorts happened while he was there. The strange thing about the Johnsons, and I love that he went to AFI and was like, "This is what I'm gonna make at AFI." And it's like, yeah, that about that about sums him up. I heard it was like his thesis. It's his thesis. Yeah, it was his thesis film. Which. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I have so many questions. Well, do the- but, but you know what? A plus. <laughs> so, do we want to start talking about the strange thing about the Johnsons? Yes. And I do want to preface like the whole thing, because um, we're going to talk about what what his issue with family is. And um, I have a quote from him. Okay. So it says, he said, I will say... I have an amazing relationship with my parents and with my younger brother. I love, uh, I have incredibly supportive parents who are both artists. 
One reason I'm able to work on as dark a register as I often do is because I've never been made to question anything I was making by them. They were always incredibly supportive, but I can say that there has been a lot of suffering in my family. I can't really talk about it. It didn't befall me, but it's befallen people that I care very deeply about. So, um, and then this was about like hereditary and he's like, so I wanted to make a film about suffering that took suffering seriously. So keep that in mind because you're not going to actually believe what he just said. No. <laughs> if you've, if you've never seen any of these films. And I would say this is like one of the most perfect films for this podcast because I think it will be too much for like a lot of people. The strange thing about the Johnsons. I have a really hard time rewatching it too. <laughs> it's a, it's a rough one. So. So the strange thing about the Johnsons, and so just so everyone knows, quick disclosure, all of his shorts are actually available online pretty easily, um, and we can share links to those, but so, like, these are all pretty accessible films. These aren't, like, it's not like, they're all on YouTube, so. Yeah, I watched them all on YouTube. Yeah, so they're pretty easy to find, which is awesome, and that's what made this series very easy, because they're all just very accessible, thank God, but so the strange thing about the Johnsons is one of his first shorts. It came shortly after haha, his really weird three minute parody advertisement that I think is wild that we don't have to talk about right now. But it's like there in watching his shorts, there are two vibes with Ari Aster. It is the strange thing about the Johnsons and then it's TDF really works where it's either really crude and weird or like very cerebral and about the destruction of like what it means to be a family. It's fascinating. The, this, this guy's mind. Um, but the strange thing about the Johnsons follows the father. So the story of an incestuous relationship between a father and son. And when I say that, I mean that the son is routinely sexually assaulting his father. Yes. So um, just let that soak in because I've, I don't think I have ever heard of or have since heard of anything like this before. Um, it, in the way that it is filmed, and this is something that Astor does in a lot of his films, is it feels very much like, almost like 1950s, beautiful, perfectly manicured suburb house, like, and they have a lot of these moments in the movie where they're taking pictures as a family, like, they look like the perfect family, and then you see these sinister moments with the father and son, and there's moments where, like, it's the son's wedding, and then he takes his dad to the side to give him a blowjob in the garden, and there are moments in this film that are absolutely hard to watch. But then what also comes in is the role of the mother in this short, which I find fascinating. Because I think in watching Hereditary and then watching all of these shorts, specifically the way that Aster writes mothers is in infinitely fascinating to me and will always be fascinating to me about how he writes mother characters and how he writes really complicated mothers in a way that we don't get a lot of in horror. So like, in the strange thing about the Johnsons, the mom knows this is happening and doesn't know what to do about it and doesn't really, she keeps quiet. Which is a lot to, to watch and to think about, but it's also fascinating because you're like, wait, so it puts you in this position of like, what, what do you even fucking do in this scenario? And she is never made to be, like, she's 
what is fascinating about her character is I think it's like you see her seeing like witnessing these things and not saying anything, and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And you don't necessarily like understand her actions, but at the same time, there's empathy that he creates for her. And I think this is a, a thread that goes along into some other shorts we'll talk about, about how he creates these characters that are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But also I kind of understand you in a fucked up way, specifically in regards to motherhood. And, uh, but I totally agree. I, the, for me in this short, um, the part, and this gets me in any movie, um, the part where the mother is hearing the assault take place Ugh. and she turns up the TV to yes. ignore it and drown it out. Whenever I see that trope in something, it gets me every time. It really, I mean, it's I think so it also effective. triggers me. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is really effective even outside of like my own personal experiences is like, that is so insidious and like, uh, fucked up on a level where it's like, you didn't, you weren't even thinking about like, how could this get even worse? You know, I just, I mean, wow. I mean, this has to be probably one of my favorite short films I've ever seen in my life. I, oh, this really? was not my first time seeing it. Yeah. yeah me neither. I've seen it <laughs> several times. <laughs> Too many. Me too. We're not okay. <laughs> I realized that I wasn't okay when I was showing it to somebody one time, and then suddenly it occurred to me that it was like really fucked up, and I didn't warn them about that, so I turned it off, and I was like, "I'm really sorry. I don't. I don't think I properly told you what this is." And they were like, "Oh yeah, thank you, because I don't want to see that." <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Sorry. Yeah, fair. Well, and um, I wanted to read a quote um, from him about making this movie, because again, this was his thesis film at the AFI Conservatory. But this had come from a discussion of friends talking about taboo topics. And he said, we were talking about topics that were too taboo to be explored. And when so when we arrived at taboos that weren't even taboos, because they were so unfathomable. And the most popular was that of a son molesting as father. Look, in reading that, comment sometimes i do have a feeling that astor might be a bit of an edgelord controversial or no oh in that same interview um that i i read my quote from it was a vox interview he straight the the interviewer is like so do you like to like provoke people even if it's not in a positive way and he just is like yep <laughs> okay cool so he is like a little bit of an edge and by a little bit i mean a lot of bit of an edgelord Look, I'm not saying that to be mean, but when you see when you see things like, oh yeah, we were just talking about taboo topics, and then I took the one that was the most extreme and made it into a 30 minute long short film, it's like, all right, buddy, like what what was your search history like as a child on the internet? Like, I'm For real. I'm very curious about you as a person, <laughs> and like, and but I like on the flip side of that, I do love a director who is willing to kind of look at these taboos. I'm not saying I'm glad we have a film like this, but I also think, and this goes for another one of his shorts, Munchausen, that we'll talk about, is he isn't afraid to kind of confront those things that are a really fucked up reality that we don't want to confront and address and look at as a society. And I think, like, there is something to be said about being, like, about wanting to put that on screen, but, like, not in a torture porny kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's movies that we talk about, like extreme horror, like August Underground and shit that puts these taboos on screen in such an extreme way. But he finds a way to do it that feels accessible, or at least it seems accessible at first. 
and then it gets absolutely nightmarish. But he's that I think also talks to like the insidious nature of these kinds of taboos and how they exist. They might exist more than you think. And even I know the strange thing about the Johnsons is very extreme. I am not saying that there is an epidemic of sons trying to sexually assault their fathers, but it like there's a way he frames it is like these extreme disturbing situations in a way that you don't you're lured into a false sense of security and then you realize the horror and you can't get out. And he is really good at doing that with like a bait and switch. I feel like. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Although I think it really is subjective, like whether or not he's torturing his audience. Yeah. Cause like for me, I don't (laughs) think so. Like, cause I want, I want that experience. Like the, I actually pulled up his like Mm -hmm. quote, that I was telling you about. And mm-hmm. so Todd Vanderwerf, which is a name, um, said, do you like provoking a reaction even if it's not a wholly positive one? And Ari Aster says, yeah, you want to have an experience when you go to a film, especially when you're going to genre film. You want to be surprised. And then he goes on more about hereditary specifically and like nihilism and stuff, um, which we will get to when we cover that movie. But I think that that's how I view film. Like, I think that's a big reason why I'm attracted to these kinds of movies that are so, like, disturbing and fucked up. It's not be, it's, <laughs> it is partially because I'm dead inside. But, <laughs> um, another part of it is that I think that art should really challenge you. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think it always has to, um, by any stretch. Like, I, I mean, I, I love Little Women by Greta Gerwig, like, just as much as I love, like, Hereditary. Not just as much. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm willing yeah. to watch something that's kind of just, like, eat, I, I don't know, like, eating candy or something, where it's, like, totally fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but then... I prefer stuff like this, because I do want an experience. I want to go into a movie... Or a short film, as we've seen with this one, and come out on the other side, like, having a new perspective, or being upset, or, like, something, just because yeah. I, I prefer my art that I consume, or, like, view, or engage with to be like that. Well, So, yeah. it could be torturous. I mean... When I, when I watched, I hate to keep bringing up Hereditary before we even talk about it, but <laughs> when I went to see that. Shalom, New Jersey. There are currently no <laughs> <laughs> Payman. Shh. He's here. <laughs> oh my God. A public service announcement. It is Payman. <laughs> that how is how you say it. Payman? Payman. Paimon. It's Payman. Um. Payman, like, Payman. please, please, Payman. okay? Anyway, um, <laughs> they say it, like, so many times in the movie. Um, anyway, sorry. Do you hear all these dogs? Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel what like, the fuck um, is happening? All of a sudden, like, <laughs> the Alexa went off. What is going on? <laughs> the fucking dogs are barking. You did. You summoned something. <laughs> I summoned something. And you know what? I fucking deserve whatever it is. <laughs> Anyway, um, sorry, I I think I might have accidentally cut you off before. I was just saying I that no when I, that was incredible. <laughs> when I went to see that movie um, with my friends, 
they they some of them did feel like they were tortured the whole time like they Mm -hmm. felt so emotionally drained to the point where it was almost like the equivalent of like sitting through like martyrs or something like that um i didn't have that experience and i'm assuming that you did not either no i did have that experience with midsummer which we'll talk about um but that's for very personal reasons but and again i'm getting ahead of myself but i I have a similar experience where I go into movies like this because, again, I like being challenged. I like seeing difficult things on screen because I think I think I do have a dark fascination with, like, how gross people can be and, like, the things that we're capable of. But I also have – I've talked about this a bunch of times, like, in various places. But I also have, like – I have intrusive thought OCD. Like, shit's bad. And movies, like, horror movies – and not necessarily Ari Aster's movies, but, like, in general, like, extreme horror is a way for me to kind of, like – experience my intrusive thoughts in a controlled setting so i think because the weird shit in my brain is like bad being able to see things like this on screen is soothing in a fucked up sort of way and it's helpful to be able to be like okay i'm not the only one that has like strange thoughts in your head and it's 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 just like an interesting experience and again astor's films are a little bit different from that but again there's some other there's movies of his that are a little bit more applicable here but I think there is something really fascinating about the darker sides of what humans are capable of. And I, I'm i really fascinated with with that and how that's depicted. And I think that Astor does a really incredible job, especially with the strange thing about the Johnsons. Because I think, again, like it is an incredibly extreme example because, you know, hereditary is not this taboo at all. But again, like I applaud people who are able to take these really taboo topics and make something like the strange thing about the Johnsons that feels like you're kind of like, oh, you look at look at this nice family and then absolutely like fucked situation. Like not just like and it's not about like titillating and shocking you with sex scenes. It's about like taking but I also think something Aster is good at for the most part is taking shocking stuff but not making it a spectacle or like as much of a spectacle. And like there are I say that and I want to push back against myself, but I feel like especially in the con- in like the te- context of The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, it's so much about the emotional effects too. It's not just about like look at these like sexual these like sexual assaults and everything. It's like look at like what this does to a family and like the destruction of the family, which is a lot. And yeah, I'm I'm rambling. Sorry. You're not rambling. That that's what I came off of mute to say. Also, if you guys hear dogs, it's actually one dog named Melissa upstairs, and um, she is a brat. Is she the pug? Um, she's not a pug. She's like, she's like a beagle mixed with I want to say like German Shepherd. Oh, good lord! Oh god. Yeah, she's pretty. She's pretty large and in charge. I like, was, so she's just chonky, isn't she? She is the chonkiest dog I've ever seen in my whole life. Just just a big old chonk. She's very cute. She's Brad, though. Hee <laughs> hee! Melissa. I anyway. love her fucking name is Melissa. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, what I, that's pretty much what I was going to say, though, is like, um, it is more about the emotional impact of what's going on. Like, for instance, if you're not willing to watch this movie this short film i completely understand yeah um you do see 
a little bit like for instance the part that you brought up at the at the son's fucking wedding yeah um where he where um the mom catches the son assaulting his father you see the son like you see and hear the son like kissing on his dad like really aggressively it's not like tender at all it's like like his father's an object and um he's like tearing at his clothes and then he like gets down and starts like undoing his belt buckle and you see that happen but then the camera pans back up to the father and he looks so vacant like his face and his eyes he's so like i i don't yeah like he's so dissociated um and we need to talk about this actor um yes billy mayo he's in a few of ari aster's short films he plays the father he's so incredible he has such an expressive face so in that scene he like looks so broken and that's what the scene is about it's yeah the son is assaulting his father but the scene is about how is this affecting the father and and don't forget the mother can see that happening so she's looking on and Mm -hmm. seeing that her husband is like broken and she doesn't do anything to stop it she doesn't confront her son nothing she turns around and uh goes back to the party uh the wedding reception and it happens later on too. Like, for instance, th- I think this f- short film is really interesting because you can really, really see Ari Aster fine tuning all of his little things that we know him for, like some of the camera techniques and the cinematography. Like, it has the same cinematographer as Hereditary and Midsummer. Pow, I think it's called. I think it's pronounced Powell or yes. Powell mm-hmm. uh, po- Pogor. Pogorzowski, right? I believe so, yes. Um, we, we see that, but the main thing that I, like, focused on that we know we've come to, like, understand Ari Aster's art is, like, the really emotional monologues where it's, like, a pretty extended scene of somebody going the fuck off. Like, for instance, Tony Collette in Hereditary, the dinner scene. Everybody knows what that is, even if they haven't seen the movie. Yeah. In this one, there's a scene where the father is like right isn't he like confronting the son yes about like everything that's going on it's the writing is just like so emotional so i think that getting back to the original point the emotional impact is really first of all where the uh (laughs) audience's trauma (laughs) comes from i would say because a lot of people don't like feeling emotion i mean i'm really one to talk but (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of people do view that as like torturous you know what i mean yeah also just something to note the strange thing about the johnsons it's a black family in the suburbs and again like this is not a movie like race is not really addressed in this movie it's but i think it's important just to kind of note that this is a black family billy mayo is a black actor who is seen in a few other of Astor's Astor's shorts. And I because I bring this up because Astor's two features are incredibly white and there is a lot of discussion with Midsomar about some of like, you know, white supremacy discussions. I'm so excited of, to debate that. <laughs> to what? To debate that. Yeah. And so I just think it's interesting that it's like one of his first shorts is centered around a black family. And he's used black actors before. And 
again, this is not me making any kind of statement about Astor's racial politics, but I do think it's fascinating that this short is about a Black family and their experience. But again, it's not rooted in a racial experience. It's just like, see, like these, th- this can happen to any family kind of situation. Yeah, it's it does like, feel more universal. It's like universal, me. which I think also, like, good, we should, you know, it makes sense just like hey it's a family it doesn't matter but again like it's just hard to n- skip over that when a lot of <laughs> Astor's oeuvre is white so it's just an interesting an interesting thing to note because again Billy Mayo is in a few of his shorts who is again plays the dad he's in Bo um as the lead in Bo and so it's interesting to see like how Astor works with some of the same people like, again, the cinematographer over and over again in his work. And unfortunately, Billy Mayo passed away, which is why we haven't seen him in any of Astor's features. I think that's really... We we found that out before um, yeah, recording right before, because yeah. we were looking into it. Because we both were like, how is this guy in multiple short films? He's so great. Like, I would honestly say his face really reminds me of, like, Tony Collette. Like, you know how Tony Collette has, like such an expressive face it's almost like her face is like this is gonna sound weird but it's a compliment it's almost like her face is made of like play-doh or something like she can just do anything yeah 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 yeah. similar to like a jim carrey which who knows about his acting but his face is like you can just mold it billy mayo has that same kind of face and um i think he's incredible in both these films that both the short films i haven't seen any of his other work um, I would like to, but in any, in any event, we were both like, why, how can this be? Why wouldn't he be cast in anything else? And it's cause he died. I assume it's cause he died. I mean, Hereditary came out in 2018 and Billy Mayo died in 2019, but maybe mm. he was sick or something Yeah. before that. It's really unfortunate cause he, he's obviously so talented. Yeah. And really quick, sorry, I just wanted to go back to what I was thinking about race with The Strange Thing About the Johnsons really quick, because there's a quote um, in an interview that Astor did with IndieWire about the short. He um, Astor said that the color of the family isn't important. We certainly assume that casting black actors in a film that tackles such transgressive themes would create something of a stir. And it would be a lie to say that we weren't hesitant, especially as many people were advising us against the decision, which is interesting. But then um, Malcolm Harris of the Huffington Post, who is black and was a survivor of incest and sexual abuse, actually applauded Mayo's performance in the short and said, we should be applauding the fact that someone has finally shown true courage in proposing the question, what if? What if these strange events were happening behind the closed doors of the Smiths, the Rosenbergs, the Mortimers, the Herreras? What if these strange things were happening to me? And I think that quote does get to the core of it. It's like, it's supposed to be a universal thing. And show that, like, I think having a black family shows that, like, this isn't, this is happens to all, this happens in all families. And this, these kinds of things are possible in all families. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors in any family. And I think it is an interesting statement to make and being like, it's, we see a lot of movies about white families and suburbs having all of this trauma and drama, but it's not just white families experiencing that. And I under but and I know it's different because like black trauma is something that is exploited in film for a plenty of other things and plenty of other reasons that are very like sinister. So I, it's a very delicate balance, and I can see arguments for either one. You know, like I'm not saying one or the other is correct. I just think it's a it, it he can t- like Aster exists in this weird like tiny line of like what 
makes sense and what is too much, I guess. I don't know. Um, anyway. <laughs> I will say this. I'm not here to discuss, like, Black trauma being exploited. Like, obviously that is the case. Um, but, like, it's not... Obviously it's not my experience. I'm not a Black man. So yeah, exactly. I don't want to talk too much about something that... I have no experience with, but I will say this as um, a man of color, that to me, the the racial dynamics of this film are important because, again, obviously not black, but um, being like part Mexican, this shit is not talked about. And I won't go too far into detail, but yeah, this, I don't know how else to say it, but um, this is a problem in my family um like this specific stuff this topic and it is not talked about no it will never be talked about and um i think that's part of why when i when i watch this film i i i was never sure like about the casting like if it was some pointed message or just happen to be like his friends or whatever um you know but i i appreciate when we do get art that engages with taboo topics that are specifically even more taboo in families of color because i we will never talk about it Um, and we should we should that i mean again i won't go too far into detail but yeah I don't know. I think it's uh, a really solid choice on his part. Um, I, yeah. I don't know that he was thinking about it in that way, but um, that's what it means to me to see that. Yeah. And I really like that quote because, like, when he said, like, the Herreras, it made me, like, think about, you know, my family, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I personally don't think it's exploitative. Um, yeah. Because, again, it's not dwelling on the violence. It's not dwelling on yeah. the physical trauma. It's exploring the emotionality of it all. Yeah. And kind of making an argument that, like, it does need to come to the surface and letting and making it so that it never does is obviously the wrong choice. Spoiler alert that is what happens in the film. Like, the mother eventually does confront the son after. The father dies. Um, he is hit by a car when he's running away from the son. Yeah. Um, because his son like catches him trying to leave, and he the father was a writer. We didn't even talk about that. The father was a poet, um, but he wrote a book called Cocoon Man, and it was mm-hmm. about his experience um, being molested by his son. And the son keeps trying to like get rid of the book, uh, the manuscript. Anyway, so the father is trying to leave with his manuscript one day. The, the son catches him. The father runs outside and gets hit by a car and dies. So after that funeral, his mother... I, I thought this scene was incredible. Um, his mother, like, finds him putting on his father's, like, sweater vest. Uh, yeah. He was, like, wear, he was always wearing sweater vests. And um, she's like... Why was your father crying when he drove you home from your prom? And I just thought that was like 
so powerful because she's like, is that when it started? Um, no, it had to have started before that, basically. I love that scene so much, but... Yeah. Fuck, I was talking about the emotionality, right? Yes. I don't know what I was saying. Anyway, I think that's more what it's... Oh, it, so she confronts the son and kills him because she, like, basically, like, street justice. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you uh, were doing this to your father for so long, now he's dead, and I miss him, and you are evil. Um, and then the mother, after she kills the son, throws the manuscript into the fire. So, to me, that implied that nothing's ever going to get done about it. And that's obviously the wrong choice. Yeah, it's a cycle. He loves a cycle. He loves... Ariaster loves a fucking cycle. But it's, (laughs) like, this whole thing of, like, okay, cool, you've recognized that something is wrong. You've recognized that something is wrong, but yet you aren't doing... Like, yeah, she kills her son, but then she wants to just burn evidence that ever happened. And it's, like, this denial that is, I think... Avoidance and denial that I think is like so prevalent in so many families about bad history, things that have happened, sexual assault, sexual abuse. Like we are very quick to want to sweep it under the rug. And I think this movie really like, I mean, you were saying that, Dax, and this movie really encapsulates that, especially at the end with burning the final manuscript and just being like, I just don't want to confront this past ever again and put it behind me. But that's, we all know that that's impossible. Right. And now she's alone. You know, I mean, she's totally alone. So it's not like she's never going to have to deal with it. Yeah. If anything, she'll probably have to deal with it even more because, like, you're never going to get answers. You're like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I think this kind of leads into, I think, the other big short of his called Munchausen. And just like a brief aside before we jump into Munchausen, Bo also came out in 2011, which is very strange. Stars Billy Mayo. He's trying to leave his house. A, a, a possum somehow has stolen his luggage and his keys, and it's all about him kind of like losing his mind. It's very bizarre. But this is also the short that um, serves as inspiration for his upcoming, I believe this is one for Disappointment Boulevard, the four-hour-long movie coming out next year starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, update. It's only three hours now. Oh, okay. Pardon me. Only. It's only, it's only three hours. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I, I saw the Midsummer director's cut in a theater, and that's like three hours long. And when it was over, I was like, I would have watched that for three more hours. Well, you're a crazy like, person. So I know. Funny. But like, Ari Aster, like, you can make a six hour movie. I'll go fucking see it. I don't care. You know? Very Well, because, and Bo is like very surreal. So there is obviously like kind of a surreal quality to Aster's films, but Bo is like full on like surreal, like, like, think David Lynch y. Not as grounded in, like, realistic, disturbing scenarios and more, like, inside of this guy's head. So it's very different from what we've kind of seen from Aster. So I'm curious how that's going to, like, what is going to translate from the seven-minute short to this long film. But it's interesting. There's a demon in it. There is a demon in it. A key demon. So, so yeah, that's Bo. But I just wanted to I really loved Bo. Because it reminded me of, like, having OCD. Yes! Yes! Um, definitely thought that Bo was the Munchausen movie, and I was like, what's happening? This isn't that weird. And I was like, oh, I got them mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> One is called Munchausen. Yeah, you know what? It was late. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I know. Um, and then just 
again, very quickly, it's 2011, same year that Strange Thing About the Johnsons and Bo comes out. Uh, Aster makes a three-minute-long parody advertisement um, called TDF Really Works with TDF standing for Tino's Dick Fart. And it's like a three-minute-long like adult swim commercial that you'd see at three o'clock in the morning. It's really, like, the vibes of this man are fascinating. Like, going from these, like, really poignant, fucked-up, like, horror dramas about family to, like, oh, look, I made an adult swim short about a thing that makes your dick fart, and then also a companion product companion product called the Clit Shitter. I can't. So that's also um, an Ari Aster original, everybody. So just wanted to add that context, because yes, he makes really cool, good shorts, and then he also made shit like that that came out the same year as The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. And I just wanted to talk about that and bring it up, because it's wild. Like, this guy is so fucking weird. The duality of man. (laughs) The duality of man. Like, it feels like something, an edgelord. Like, it... That is the epitome of, like, edgelord film boys in the early 2010s. Like, it is exactly that. So it's fascinating that he really embodied all of the stereotypes of a nerdy white filmmaker. (laughs) Now, when I say I'll watch a six-hour movie, I don't mean that one. (laughs) I mean, like, one of these artsy ones. (laughs) Because I was watching it, and I was just staring at my phone, like, what in the actual fuck am I consuming at this moment? Because it was very... Di- I watched it after I watched That's a couple not for of, me. like... It's, yeah, it's not. But I just wanted to bring that up because, boy, oh, boy, this guy's got an interesting range. And I don't know if I mean that as a compliment. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we'll moving into, like, the next phase of his work, we have Munchausen from 2014, 13? I'm I think 13. Different, I'm seeing two different dates. But, yeah, so Munchausen is the other, like, big kind of popular-ish disturbing short that this that this man Aster has made um starring Bonnie Bedelia posted it too oh really I didn't know that um so Munchausen Bonnie Bedelia plays a mother this also marks the beginning of a collaboration with Rachel Brosnahan that Aster has that I want to talk about briefly in a bit yes but I would also like to Munchausen, um, for those of y'all who aren't familiar, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is, uh, it's seen in like the sixth sense and films like that, where a caregiver deliberately makes someone they're caring for ill for attention. Um, that's very reductive, but that's kind of, you know, the colloquial diagnosis or thought about what that is. And so it's a silent film. It is inspired, as Astor says, by the uh, opening scene in Up, if y'all have seen the Pixar film Up, with that very sad opening like montage of the couple meeting and getting married and her and her dying, they took that inspiration from Up to make this fucked up movie about a mother who kills her son. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the reason that she does that, yeah. she doesn't mean to kill her son, no. but she's deliberately making him sick because she doesn't want him to go away to college. So we have this like, a montage of him like being so successful in college and it's like this beautiful kind of like very technicolor beautiful like idealized world with this beautiful sweeping score and he meets Rachel Bros- Brosnahan and they get married and like they're just he's living his best life and then she snaps back to watching him pack and so half of this the short is like kind of her imagining his life without her and then she comes back to reality and is like, can't handle the the idea of him having that life without her. 
So she put something in the sandwich. And it's interesting. And I read a really interesting description of how this part reminds people of reminded this reviewer of Tim Burton. Which is interesting because of the bottle, like the bottle. It, that she, it did, yeah. Kind of the a bottle bit. she puts it. It says like, like feel good. bad. It says feel bad on it. It's not like a rat poison. It's not like any kind of notable product. It's a it's a fabricated product that says feel bad. That just kind of gets across the point that what she is putting in his food is meant to make him feel ill on purpose. Yeah, it's like Ipecac, but like it's not a real product. Yeah, it's very like it's. I was taken aback by that. So there's like again this weird fantastical vibe a little bit to it and it's very subtle but there are these little touches that make it feel kind of unreal um which i thought was fascinating but then so we're following the mom as she and god i was i i loved this this short and it's fucked up but like okay i talked about moms and in this one this mom is a fucking awful person but i wanted to know more about her which is i think a testament to his work because you see, even though this is silent, you see the inner workings of her head and, like, her thinking about her kid. And, you know, you see parents being, you know, sad about their kids leaving. And you watch her, like, debate about what she's doing and kind of thinking, like, ah, this isn't the right thing. I shouldn't be doing this. Like, what am I doing to my kid? And you can kind of, like, make it this thing of, like, okay, she wants to make him sick so he doesn't leave right on time. But then there's this really interesting camera move where he zooms in on the kid crossing out, like, the days in the calendar. The red marker... Like, the X is to count down to when he's leaving for college. And then when she first makes him sick, you see that he zooms in on the X's and they start zooming by to indicate this, like, really ridiculous passage of time of how much she has kind of caved into this rotten desire to keep her kid around. And it's this, I think, a really interesting way to watch the passage of time and to show, like, how she fell into this pool of abuse and how she kind of especially in Bonnie Bajulia's facial performances, like kind of realizing like, oh shit, like I really let this go too far. And there is like a complexity to her character where there is no doubting that she's a fucked up bad mom. But there is an interesting complexity to her that like, again, I don't think we've seen movies that have, you know, we've seen movies with Munchausen by proxy, but we haven't seen it from the perspective of the person doing the Munchausen as often. And again, she's not, She's not necessarily sympathetic. I don't feel bad for her. But there is more of an emotional arc or kind of complexity given to her than just a villain. But a villain with maybe twinges of empathy that you can, like, (laughs) see. But you never fully empathize. But there's more to her than just being an abuser. That sounds fucked up. That sounds fucked up that I said that. I'm so sorry. I I know what you mean, though. Because you do see that she isn't going to give it to him at first. And then he, like... Like, she puts it in the sandwich and takes the sandwich up to him, but then she tries to take the sandwich away because she realizes that what she did is wrong. And he takes it anyway. Like, he steals it from her and eats it. Um, And you can see her worrying about him getting sick, like, that first time um, where she gives him the sandwich by accident or on purpose, but he takes it. You can see her, like, that she feels bad and knows it's wrong, but she doesn't stop. So it's like... yeah. I don't feel bad for you, but it is interesting to see that you know that you're wrong. Yeah, like you see her struggling with what she's doing, but then ultimately doing it. And like, when I say struggling, I mean, she's not struggling that much. Like, she's just, it's like, yeah. from A to B, it's pretty quick. A gentle wrestle A in gentle, her mind. Yeah, like you see the regret on her face. And I, I do think that is interesting to, again, tap into that taboo situation of a mother 
knowingly and purposefully harming their child for her own gain because we see her in like a sad marriage where she's all by herself and no like her husband's asleep while she watches tv or like and there is okay and this might have been because i watched the strange thing about the johnsons but there was also a weird incestuous vibe here did you yes also feel i got that? that too okay yes okay because like it was one-sided yes exactly like it felt like she had more she had a deeper attachment to her son than just mother and son and it's never like again this it's very implicit but there is like a way that the the lighting and the framing is switched when she's with him and it's like all bright and sunny and it's not just a mm. mother's love but like an infatuation with her kid in a way that is incredibly unhealthy and again that manifests in abuse and the ultimate murder of her son and yeah like you see her crying at the funeral when the son finally dies this like horrible death like, oh, like, in his bed, you don't see anything graphic, but it's obvious that he's been, like, just routinely, because his body is, like, full of poison. You see Sorry. her, like, full of regret, but you're at the same time, you're like, you did this. Like, this was your fault. Like, sorry that you're upset, but, like, you fucked it. Like, Yeah, like, I, I like a nuance. I like a nuanced villain like that. Yes, exactly. Because she, it's not like she's, like, a fucking, like, Cruella de Vil. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? She's, like, a person who did this thing. And so, and I think that, like, Aster takes what he's done in Strange Thing About the Johnsons and Munchausen and channels them into Hereditary. And we'll talk more about that with Hereditary, but I think, like, there are shades of these characters in Annie Graham. And obviously, Annie Graham is not, like, you know, poisoning her kids. What? Oh, I thought you were going to say she's not mother of the year. No, well, no. But she's, she's a mother who has, like, is is a kind of like, I don't know if I say bad mother, but she's not like a great mother. And she has these shades of people who have done bad things and she knows that they're bad. And she's like living with the regrets and living with all of that and like struggling with that. And I think that's what I love about her character so fucking much. I love Annie Graham so much that I think he is able to take these complexities of, which is wild as like a skinny Jewish white guy like these complexities of motherhood experiences and like project and create a character that is like a little bit and Annie's like a little bit deplorable a little bit empathetic and you love her but you hate her and you're fascinated with her and I think he really perfects that with Hereditary I think he's working in extreme a little bit more extremes with his shorts because again it's short they're short films and it's really interesting to see the trajectory of how he creates these characters. Totally. Um, while this made you think of Hereditary, this really made me think of Midsummer. Oh, really? Midsummer or Midsommar? I don't know. I don't. I say both. I feel like that one doesn't matter. No. I think it's Midsummer. I'm just, yeah, I'm going to say Midsummer. <laughs> As a, an American. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but this really, rem- like, made me think of i think this one informed midsummer a lot i mean it starts out with it almost looks like a tapestry at the beginning with the opening like yeah credit yeah yeah um, yeah the cross stitch yeah it very much reminded me of the tapestry at the beginning of midsummer mm-hmm. and then for me the like the lighting in this one the fact that it is so light for most of it yes. and unless she's thinking about like you know, watching TV in the dark with her husband asleep, which is like, I'm sorry. That's like every, everyone who's 
significant other like has a job like there's always a sleepy person in the relationship yeah like and if there isn't one in your relationship that means you're the sleepy person you know what i'm saying like like, if you don't know that guys you can communicate with your spouse sometimes and be like hey let's watch something and not when you're not falling asleep but sometimes people fall asleep because they work and they're tired like it's it's (laughs) like like, i am i supposed to feel sorry that your husband's asleep like like exactly and like uh, he seems like he's like fine with the I capital get it. F. It's just like emphasizing yeah. her like loneliness like and her, inside. Her weird sexual but. attraction to her son. Anyway. <laughs> um, which again we could have projected that onto it because we did watch these movies like pretty much back to back. But I don't know. Just the hey, way it like yeah. lights up. It almost reminds me of like, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering this, but it almost a little bit reminded me of like in Snow White with like the like wind and like little animals there weren't any little animals but you know what i'm saying (laughs) like again it has the disney feel like there is this like kind of whimsical quality to it like the kids bedroom the kids bedroom is like perfectly designed to look like a kid's bedroom like in toy story or something it looks like like the toy story bedroom exactly the toy story bedroom everything is perfectly placed all the colors like it's it is it is immaculately designed to evoke like these thoughts of a manicured whimsical disney movie and i think that obviously like hits with the hits with the inspiration but also with like this whole like look at this beautiful thing and then like haha look it's falling apart and you know again we talked about um rachel brosnahan in this film and she is a figment of the mother's imagination um yeah she's not even real she's not even real like she is a complete figment of like what her son is going to become when he leaves her inevitably it makes me it really did remind me of midsummer with like the horror in the daylight kind of like texas chainsaw too like you know what i mean it's got very much like the stylistic kind of vibes of midsummer again like he's like with the bright horror like, the bright like daytime stuff and like kind of look it's so pretty and colorful but actually it's an actual goddamn nightmare and i love that i'm a sucker for that yeah i love in you know, any movie where it's like, here's this beautiful house, and underneath it is the crumbling foundation. It's like, yeah, I'll Yay. fall for it every time. I'm like, ooh. I, me too. Exactly. <laughs> I will 100% fall for it. Anyway, um, getting back to Rachel Brosnahan, she's also in another... First of all, I didn't know who she was. She looked vaguely familiar, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen anything with her in it besides these short films, because she's also in another short film. Um, called Basically, yes. which is by Ari, Ari Aster. And I really like that one also. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, because that one's like a dark comedy also, and it's just her going around her like rich person house, like explaining who these people are. <laughs> like, it, right? But it, oh, it just, it again, this is like solidifies Aster's love of a monologue because yes. we have, we, we see these monologues in the Johnsons, and then it's silent in Munchausen, but then basically is literally just seven minutes of monologuing about, like, different parts of this young actor, like, rich kind of nepotism baby's life. And it's this, like, mixture of her being very vapid, but also, like, kind of reckon- like reckoning with her own vapidness. Yes. And it's really, it. like, it got me. And Rachel Brosnahan is incredible. I want him to work with her in like a feature. I don't know why she hasn't been in his features yet because she is I was thinking that. fucking incredible and basically 
Because again, like it's a pretty simple, like it's tableaus basically of her giving monologues and you learn a little bit about her life. But the way it's written is just like gut punch after gut punch. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It's sad because it goes like, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, my mom is this. My dad is this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I cheated on my boyfriend who died of leukemia. And I have and like and then it's like, uh, what? And then she like it kind of like jumps out of that and then ends with her kind of having these realizations about life. And it's just like it's a very very tightly paced and packaged um, or emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. With a lot of the little camera things that, again, that we have come to know about him, like a wider shot with shit happening in the background, but she's Ugh. in the foreground and yes. like talking to us and, you know, breaking that fourth wall. It's it's not something you're just supposed to be watching her talk. Like you're supposed to be taking in the entire tableau. Like it is meant like for you to be taking in every detail because every frame is like there are people placed very significant like very purposefully. And like there's one pool scene where a got two guys are hitting this massive bong and like they're coughing in the background. And it's just like it's so smart and I love it. Yes. What is what is she in? She's in that. She's in the um, marvelous, marvelous Miss Maisel. So she yeah. she got like her big break in the marvelous Miss Maisel as the titular marvelous Miss Maisel, which I have never watched. Um, I just haven't. It's just not for me. But she's won like a ton of awards for it. Um, she's apparently incredible, and then she's also in. She was also in House of Cards, which I did not remember, and I watched. House I never of Cards. saw that. She's in House of Cards first, and then she went to Marvelous Miss Maisel. But I feel like Marvelous Miss Maisel was kind of, like, the thing that got her, like, on the map for a lot of people. And she's great. Very interesting. Yeah, I've never seen either of those. Mar- is, I might have made this up. Is Marvelous Miss Maisel by the same person who did Gilmore Girls? Amy Sherman Palladino. That's very interesting. That I, It looks really not for me, that um, yeah. show. No. But I watch Gilmar Girls over and over again. I'm doing it right now, actually. Wow. So it's weird that that looks not for me. But she's really good in both of these shorts. Also, she does a little bit remind me of, like, Evan Rachel Wood. Yes, I always... I thought it was her. I thought it was Evan Rachel <laughs> I thought, Wood for I thought a it was second. her, too. That's how I That's how I found out it wasn't, because I looked it up. I was like, Evan Rachel Wood? They have but very no. similar facial structures. Yeah. I, I, I never, like... Uh, so this wasn't my first time watching Munchausen either. Um, I've watched that several times too. Again, I understand. Like I am Unwell. in therapy. So. Unwell. <laughs> Unwell. <laughs> <laughs> but I never really noticed her in that before. Um, it was only because I watched basically right after that. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, that. I thought that was. I don't know what I thought. Like. Yeah. Oh, was that Evan Rachel Wood? So I looked her up, and no, it's Rachel Brosnahan, who is really good. Maybe I should check out that show. I probably won't. It's just like it's um, too it's too twee for me, but that's because I hate fun. Apparently, um, <laughs> I want to see her in a feature film of Ari Aster's. He obviously, like, she obviously can do it. Give maybe, it maybe she will be in. Maybe give me a feature film. Basically, I want to know more about this fucked up tragic character. Give me more information. (laughs) I don't care about Joaquin Phoenix. Give me Rachel Brosnahan. (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me of this wasn't the first time I saw basically either. Like I've watched all of his short films before, but I don't know why I don't. I didn't really pay attention to this one before. We're not like covering it 
but just to talk about it real quick. But watching it this time, I really paid attention and I actually really loved it. And it really reminded me of um, that book, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, if you ever read that. Oh, I haven't read it, but I know of it. Like, I know what it is. I love it so much that it's by my favorite author, Otessa Moshfeg. I need to read more of her stuff. I love her. Anyway. Anybody who listens to this podcast, you'd probably like her stuff. um, Because (laughs) it's like, it's like a little disturbing, but not, I haven't read the latest book yet. Um, I have it, but I have not gotten a chance to read it yet. And um, by all accounts, it is more disturbing than the rest of the books, like, like grotesque uh <laughs> violence and stuff but like um the other ones are kind of like get under your skin grotesque like n- like shitty characters that yeah <laughs> so anyway um it really reminded me of that cuz my year of rest and relaxation is about like basically like i don't think she's a nepotism baby but that's what i'm going to say and <laughs> she's like just a shitty person who like makes these same kind of observations and i think a movie is coming out for that book soon, so you're oh, basically fuck yeah. you're basically gonna get basically <laughs> Hell in a yeah. movie. Yeah, I really like this one. But okay, so the the definition that you gave of Munchausen would lead me to believe that this is not a Munchausen by proxy, because she's not getting any attention for it. You know what I mean? But she's getting attention from her son. And also, we don't see... You know what I mean? I so like, It's like, it's... And again, I think Munchausen's is much more, com- like, much more probably complicated than my very basic, like, Wikipedia definition of what it is. Um, but, you know, we've seen, like, Mommy Dead and Dearest. It, I think, is, like, probably the most recent, like, real-life fucked-up case of Munchausen by proxy that we saw yeah. where someone got a lot of attention. But here, you're right. She isn't getting attention she's getting her kid to stay with her longer but then that means the kid is giving her attention and like needs her and i think there is something with munchausen's about wanting to feel needed and like if the person is feeling if if the person is i don't i don't know super a ton about it like i know the basic definition that everybody else knows um but i didn't i didn't know that like the well you know, I'm going to cut this out. But just to say to you, I, I didn't know that the person who you're doing the abuse to could also be the person you get the attention from. And that would be the proxy oh, part. Oh, so so it's like it's it can be a couple things, I think. Again, y'all, I'm not a fucking mental health professional, but it's because either you get attention for what you're doing and it's like kind of martyring yourself or you're getting satisfaction from being a caregiver. And like, that's where you get okay kind of like validation or like a sense of self in the fact that you are taking care of someone and if they are not doing if they are getting better that that person no longer gets that validation so they keep them sick so they can continue to like get the validation of that they are needed as a caretaker okay yeah that makes sense so again like it again like it's very different case by case but it kind of a lot of the time, it's, like, almost trapping somebody to stay as, like, a person's point of validation. Okay. Well, don't worry about covering Munchausen too much, because um, a little birdie told me, and by little birdie, I mean myself, um, 
that we might have to get into that in our next series because I already picked out what I want to do and that documentary is part of it. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Well, and so just before we move on, because I know I keep talking about Munchausen, I want a full movie about Munchausen. Like with this move, this short yes. into a full, or I want a movie about a woman like struggling and Munchausen by proxying her family, like her daughter or her son or whatever. I want that movie from her perspective. Do I sound like an asshole, crazy person? No, no, because I think that would be very fucking fascinating and fucked up. But I would love to watch. You know it. what I always think about um, when I think about Munchausen is that. S, uh, Law and Order SVU episode where the lady is like using a wheelchair and then they figure out that she's faking it and then um, I think Olivia Benson like throws her in the pool and um, she like she she pushes the wheelchair into the pool and um, you see the lady like float to the surface like she's gonna drown and then she starts fucking swimming and they're all like see we knew oh, that you were faking it my <laughs> Yes. What? Oh, it's man. stuck I with me for years. Ah, oh, you do. It. Oh, I love it so much. I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I did love it so much. It's like the only copaganda thing that it's I like, can tolerate. It, it's like a cab, but also it's an industry. Except show. for Olivia, Olivia Benson. Benson. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. And God, back on track. Um. And then, so there's two other shorts that we can kind of just, like, briefly address of Aster's that are, again, like, strange thing about the Johnsons and Munchausen are two of his, like, two most kind of, like, influential slash well-known ones that are very disturbing and very much in line with the tone of his feature films. Like, they're much more, I think those two shorts are the most, like, in line stylistically of what we know of him as a feature film director. Um... In 2014, he put out a, a short called The Turtle's Head, which is about a guy's <laughs> dick who is shrinking. And it starts off like a fucking perverted porno film noir, like parody. And then it this guy's dick just keeps shrinking and then it just disappears into his body. And it's, um, it's something. I didn't it's really understand... It, like, it starts off one way and then ends more in, like, the the Aster tone that we know of. But it's very bizarre because, it, again, it kind of, it's this guy playing a shitty P.I. who is really horny and is just doing things for, for pussy. And it's, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a cautionary tale. Obviously, the, the guy gets punished for being an asshole. But it's just a very weird tonal shift in it. And also, you see his dick shrinking into his body. Yes, I don't. I don't know. There's not much to say about it, honestly. It's not for me. There's not much to say. Again, like this is a no- this is another example of like kind of the more edge lordy uh, stuff that Aster veers into. <laughs> and another example of him using actors over and over because um oh, that a- uh, character actor Richard. Do you say it Riley? I don't or real. I don't know. I'm gonna be perfectly it's- honest with you. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's R I E H L E. I think it's maybe it is Riley. I'm gonna but say Riley. But he's a character actor. Like he's been in like Office yeah. Space, Casino. He's Hatchet. He's, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. He's like an older guy. He kind of looks like what you think Santa, like Santa looks like without the full <laughs> head of hair. 
I was going to say Colonel Sanders. So, <laughs> I mean, we're both look. We're saying he's a he's a he's a bigger white guy, and he's with a, char- a thick with white a mustache. Thick white mustache. Like he's very distinctive looking. So, but I also love white seeing victims. him in a lead role in this short. Like even though it's not my favorite short, like he's got it's cool to see him in those roles. Um, yeah. But he's also in Munchausen as the doctor, very briefly. Yes, um, really like him. I like that he's used in multiple of his shorts. That one, again, I I, I just don't go for... <laughs> this won't surprise anybody. I don't really like comedies, so let's start there. Um, <laughs> there there are some that I like, because um, I'm not, like, that broken. <laughs> but usually the ones I go for are kind of complete opposite of, like, you know boyish like frat boy what i would consider yeah. frat boy humor yeah um like he's, dick he's, jokes and he's shit still like that. a nerdy That's not white guy me. he's still a nerdy white guy y'all like he's not yeah. he, he, he's not trying to actively run away from that label let's just put it that way <laughs> i will say i really like how that one looks and again i believe it's um cinematography by powell pogorzelski yes. i'm pretty sure he's worked with him for all of his movies I don't Almost. I don't think Almost. in some of the earlier shorts um but certainly with the ones that we covered today yeah. um, and that one um and you can really tell and uh, I like the coloring in that one. It kind of reminds me more of like Hereditary, where it's like bluish greenish almost yeah. for some of it. Um and and also like a like a noir <laughs> like I don't know. It's really weird tonally. Um, I appreciate it, but I don't feel a need to ever, like, rewatch it. Um, yeah. And, in fact, I did not rewatch it for this because I, I was like... I watched I don't, it. I, I don't think it's that. No, I just, wanted that to, much, so. I just wanted to touch on it because it's just, like, a weird departure. And I think it's a very... Watching... So we've gotten so the and his last short was C'est la Vie, which I actually didn't watch, which is another kind of tableau monologue movie following um an unhoused man in Los Angeles, which was his just last, talking about shit that pisses him off. I think yeah, which is um the last short before Hereditary, and I was very glad. So I'd only seen the strange thing about the Johnsons before this, before talking about this, and I actually okay. like. Full on was just like, oh yeah, there aren't really any other ones I should watch of his. Uh, uh, fully was incorrect, and I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to have watched them, like all of them, though, because it's very, it's fascinating. Because one, I'm like really bad about watching shorts. Like I wish I watched more short films. I always, I've been saying this for years, but like I'm just woefully like un, uneducated in short film. But watching his short films really do give you a very fascinating kind of like preview about what his feature films are and it's really cool to see like where the seeds of these ideas started coming from and how they mm-hmm. transitioned and i'm i'm excited to talk about hereditary next week that's what i god we're gonna be there for like six hours talking about hereditary um i know we're gonna have to like we're gonna make be, a script or something yeah <laughs> um maybe two-parters <laughs> i might even hey, have maybe, to be two-parters I'm, I'm fine with it um, we'll see but this is, I think, I'm excited to talk about his features, and I think his shorts are a lot to, like, look at and chew on and think about. And if y'all are interested in watching those shorts, they're all online. Again, like we said, 
So if you want to watch those before we start talking about Hereditary and Midsummer, please check them out. They are very readily available, which is very nice. Yes. I love short films. I watch them kind of a lot. Um, I recently did and am doing another, um, like, alter horror. Do, yeah. do you know about this? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, so, friend of the pod, Joe Lipset, um, had, I mean, does so much incredible work, is some would say too prolific. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, on Anatomy of a Pod Squad Network, helped develop something called the altar tapes which is um about it's like different people in the horror horror critic world um talking about altar of horror i think it's i think they're just called altar short films which are um short film they're horror short films that are uploaded to youtube every week i think multiple times a week i'm subscribed i should know this but Anyway, they're actually really good, and a oh. lot of them are pretty scary. They're so incre- if you're Alter into short films or want to get into short films, those are some really good ones. Um, I covered two of them on uh, that show. Again, it's called The Alter Tapes. And um, I'm doing another one soon with him. I'm recording it next week. Uh, fun fact. And mm-hmm. I'm also... La- I, I don't think I ever even talked about this. Last year, I helped um, with judging short films for Salem Horror Fest and like basically judging you know whether or not they would get into the festival. Yeah. Um and I'm doing that again this year. So I'm Oh my like, god, me too. Yay. I'm really behind. Yeah, I, we're so like knee deep especially Mary Beth apparently we're knee deep in some short films. So that's really fun. I love short films and I think that um, just to bring it back to Ari Aster, I think, I mean, come on. <laughs> this is like the epitome of the, sh- the art of the short because they're just so, like, yeah. such contained, just well done, efficient and economic stories. And they look great. Um, they get right to the point and they really pack a, a punch in a very short, like efficient amount of time. And I'm just here for it. I, that's what I love about short films. Um, is like, <laughs> they're like one hitters. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> um, and I love that. I, I love, and I especially love that they really do give, um, newer filmmakers a chance to, do a little calling card when we get to see what they're about and we get to see their progression. And I think these are a really great example of, you know, we talked about Aster's films out of order, which we did not plan to do. We did plan to do them in order and we just got carried away. Um, But the, these are a great example of like an artist progressing into like how we think of them today. And it's just so cool. And like, interesting to see and i just i mean i'm a nerd too mr ari aster so like i really nerd out about that kind of thing and it's just really cool and i think i mean these are a hell of a calling card (laughs) yeah no shit yes so 
Anyway, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I'm so excited for the series. So next week, y'all are talking about Hereditary. Thank you all for joining us on our beautiful journey through Ari Aster's weird-ass short films, A Man Who Contains Multitudes and Has Our Hearts as a Nerdy White Boy. We are not infallible, everybody. Um, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Watch Once Never Again. Um, you can follow the pod. Well, actually, hold on. Haven't done this in a bit. Uh, if you have suggestions for films that we should be covering for series, for directors, for ideas, please send us an email at wonapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and send us DMs about suggestions at wonapodcast at W-O-N-A podcast. You should also follow us on Twitter. I'm at M.B. McAndrews. And I'm at Daxi Bobbin. And we will be back next week with our next episode on Hereditary. Thanks, y'all, so much for listening. Bye. Bye.